0: Acts chapter 18. Actually, Acts chapter 19. Would you turn there with me? Acts chapter 19. And this is where our actual preaching text is going to be. Um, but I wanna I wanna go back and read those last one, two, three, five or so verses of chapter 18. And then we'll go right into chapter 19 and read down through verse 7. I think this will help give us a a little bit of context tonight with respect to where we're going with the message. So if you're ready to start, say, let's go. All right, Acts chapter 18, verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, we studied about Apollos, preached a whole message on, on this man, Apollos. He was born in Alexandria, he was an eloquent man. He was mighty in the Scriptures, and he came to Ephesus, verse 25. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla, we preached specifically on them last week, when they had heard, they took him, that is Apollos, "...unto them, and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, that uh, which had believed through grace." For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Now, chapter 19, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John, barely baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, Which should come after him that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized, (coughs) excuse me, in the name (coughs) of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues. We know that to be known languages of that day. It wasn't some kind of esoteric, uh, heavenly uh, type of language, according to what we we read in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. It's very clear, very clear. You don't even have to know anything about the Greek to understand that these tongues throughout the book of Acts were known languages of that day. It would be, for example, me all of a sudden being able to speak Spanish when I know poquito, taco, burrito. That's all I know. I know cerveza. Uh, the answer is usually two. Um, so I don't know. But all of a sudden, it would be like the Holy Ghost coming on me, and I'm speaking flu I'm sharing the gospel fluently in Spanish. Or in Vietnamese, or I I'm, 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 would have the ability to preach in a known language the gospel in a way that others who do not speak my language would be able to understand, okay? So they spoke with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about 12. One thing that... <clears throat> we must all remember is that when it comes to the various realms of life, not everyone is at the same place, and that would include all of us gathered here tonight. We're not all at the same place. Not, we're not all on the same level of learning and life experience. And so, we must be patient and willing to help others come along. For example, at the police department, we have what are called FTOs. Those are field training officers. And that's not an easy assignment. If you're a field training officer and you are assigned a a new recruit... That's that's not an an easy task because even though all of those trainees have graduated from uh, the academy, they may not all be at the same level of learning. For example, there may be some who are pretty good at traffic stops and they know how to to, uh, they know about the seven-point approach, and they, they know about what to say, and they're pretty comfortable with that. They may be absolutely lousy at paperwork, but there may be others who are pretty adept at, at the paperwork, um, but you're going to be surprised if they don't get killed by somebody at some point in a traffic stop, because they just don't get it. And they just don't understand the safety part of it and, and all of that something that we have gotten to witness in, in person right here in our own church with, with our staff and, and with our ministry interns is their growth in preaching. They were not all at the same level when they first came here. But as a church, with, whether it's Brother Alfred or Brother John or Brother Mike Collins or Brother Tyler or Brother Sid, it, it, we've, we've gotten to see them with our own eyes as, the, as they've had opportunity to stand in the pulpit, and we've, we've gotten to witness their their growth in the preaching, uh, in, in the, the practice of preaching. And, and I think you would agree with me tonight that they are now all very accomplished preachers of the Word. Don't worry, there were a lot of amens there, guys, you just didn't hear it. Listen, I don't want them to go home bum because of this Sunday. I think we'd all agree with me that they are now very accomplished preachers of the Word. Amen. Thank you. Does that feel better, guys? I don't want to get a text from my son tonight. Well, there there. Really, really. Some of you newlyweds, some of you husbands are getting to see your wives grow in the expertise of cooking. That's that's a good place for an amen right there. If you you want to sleep in bed with her tonight, you better say amen right there. Not it's the couch for you, bucko. I'll share this story with you because my wife has, uh, she has shared it herself with others. She's made it public. Years ago, um, I was a youth pastor and had a couple of uh, young men over and and I said, honey, why don't, you, why, don't you, why don't you cook some fried chicken? Well, the only chicken she had was frozen. And so she thought, frozen chicken, fire, yeah, it'd all be good. And so she commences to cutting up and rolling and frying this chicken. And man, it looked good on the outside. But the moment you took a bite of that brown chicken leg and it started dripping with blood, like, yeah, this is not good. But let me, let, me, let me just, you say, boy, you're in trouble. No, 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 listen, here's the rest of the story. Here we are now, been married 37 years, there is nobody, nobody that can cook a chicken like my wife can cook a chicken. I'm, I'm telling you the truth, and now she doesn't go to all of that trouble of cutting up the leg and the thigh. Now she just buys these chicken breasts, and she makes chicken uh, chicken strips, golden brown. You you can you can have that Chick Fil A junk all you want. You can go to Cane raising Cane's and have all of that nonsense, but I'm telling you, there ain't nothing, ain't nothing like Kate's kitchen when it comes. To frying up a chicken but I've gotten to witness her growth in that particular area listen I make this statement I think you agree with me nobody starts out at anything knowing everything nobody starts out at anything knowing everything we all have room to grow in many different areas of our lives. And this is certainly true when it comes to spiritual things. One teacher asked her Sunday school class, what was the first commandment? A little girl raised her hand and said the first commandment was when Eve told Adam to eat the apple. Another teacher asked her class what they had remembered from last week's study of Lot's wife. A little boy raised his hand, and he said, We learned that she was a pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire by night. (laughs) I don't think she would mind me sharing this story with you. If so... I'll just—I figured it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is permission. But years ago, we were—I <clears throat> think we were pretty sure we were rehearsing Liberty, and we were using some banners depicting the the names of Christ. It was for the finale, um, and they were going to carry those banners down the aisle, and, and they had names of Christ and. And one of the names was Lamb of God. And I remember back in those days, Candy, she's smiling, so I guess I'm I'm okay. She asked Viola Hodges. She said, what's this Lamb of God stuff? And so Viola explained to her about Jesus and how he was the, the Lamb of God. And now look at her. I mean, what? What incredible spiritual growth she has undergone. And you know why that is? It's because someone was willing to come alongside her and help her. Another example of this truth is found here in Acts chapter 18. Apollos had some knowledge of the Word. And what knowledge he had, he was very zealous about About it, and he was very zealous about sharing it with others, but he didn't know it all. And so Priscilla and Aquila uh, heard him speak and they observed him. And they, the Bible says, that they pulled him aside not to chastise him or to belittle him. But the Bible says that they, they took him aside and they helped him. They explained some things further to him and maybe cleared up some things that maybe he had misspoken about. I don't know what that was all about, but I, I know that, that they were willing to take him aside and sit down with him. And, and, and the Bible says that they uh, expounded the way of God more perfectly to him. You know what we call that? We call that discipleship. Discipleship, coming alongside someone and and helping them learn more about God and about the Bible and about the Christian life. How many of you would be willing to admit tonight that no matter how many times you've read the Bible, there are still occasions when you're reading the Word of God that you look at something and you go, wow, I've never seen that before. That's awesome. I didn't know that was in there. And here I am, I'm 40 years old in the Lord, and I've been reading the Bible for many, many years, and wow, there it is right there. That's awesome. I mean, Let's admit it tonight, there is a lot to be learned about this book. There's a lot to be learned in this book, and the truth is, church, we will never learn it all in our lifetime. We just won't. Now let me stop here real quick and just give a shout out to our children's ministry people. If you're involved in children's ministries in any way tonight, would you stand real quick? Come on. At any time during the course of a month or a year, you're involved in children's ministry. Hey, absolutely. Thank them for that, would you? Thank you. You can be seated. Brother Ed's stuck back there in the room. He's translating tonight. Brother Ed, thank you for being involved in children's ministry. And thank you tonight for helping the children in your care. Learn about the Bible. I am so thankful that, that every one of you makes Sunday school and you make children's church more than an arts and crafts time. Now, yeah, I see kids come down and they're carrying pictures they've colored and they're, they're carrying little things that they've made. And, and that's awesome. But Let me tell you something. I know on any given Sunday that their time up there, it's about more than arts and crafts and refreshments. You know how I know that? I know that because just last week, one of our young dads texted me after church and said, Pastor, this is the second time now today my daughter said she wanted to get saved. Where'd she hear about that? She heard about that in Sunday school and in children's church. Because some people are taking the word of God and they're taking their responsibility seriously and they're, they're having fun up there and they're laughing and they're singing funny songs and, and, and they're having a great time and they're making things and they're coloring things for mom and dad and they're, they're getting all sugared up for mom and dad on Sunday afternoon. But in the midst of all of that, somebody's taking the time to talk about Jesus. And they're using the word saved. Saved. And they're beginning to comprehend what it means to be saved, and they're going home and they're asking their parents questions about being saved, and that's awesome. And just to put a good ending on that story, just today the mom of that daughter caught me in the foyer, and she said, "Pastor, our daughter's been talking to us about being saved." And I said, "Wait just a minute, I." I text Amy Knutson this week, and I told her that, and I asked her if she'd be willing to visit with you guys. She said she would. I sent somebody to find Amy. Amy met with that young lady, and then she got saved today. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Listen, that's, that's children's ministry on purpose. And thank you for doing that. And by the way, while I'm giving shout-outs, thank you to our bus workers. Who do more than just make sure the kids stay in their seat from the right home, uh, from, from, from home to church and church to home. Thank you for singing songs with them and playing games with them and talking to them about Jesus. Listen, I'm glad that our children's ministries here, our nursery ministry here, are not just glorified babysitting services. They are teaching times. And I'm thankful for that. So thankful for that. So i tell you what, we're living in a time in America where the vast majority of people are biblically illiterate. And unfortunately, the way some churches approach ministry today, they're not doing anything to help that at all. As a matter of fact, I'm afraid that some of them are adding, adding to the biblical illiteracy of our nation. I mean, sermons are... Are, are, are more self-help pep rallies than they are a clear and understandable exegesis of the Scriptures. Listen, you wouldn't, in some of those churches, you wouldn't hear a doctrinally rich song like we heard tonight. This morning we, we, we sung, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Man, what a doctrinally rich song. Listen, I love fast songs. I love to clap my hands. I I love it when our musicians cut loose over here. I love all of that. But I'm glad for the doctrinal foundation of the music ministry in this church. Listen, we just don't use he and him and you. We use Jesus and we use God and we use Christ. And I'm thankful for that. It's sad, the state of affairs is that some of our churches are in in this nation today. We live in a world of upgrades and changing operating systems. So much so that, in, that unless your field of expertise is, is in that, then mercy, it can be hard to keep track of. I mean, you say, what operating system you use? Well, I don't know. I just turn the thing on, and this little window pops up, and boom, we're all good. I don't know all of that stuff. And, and, and if you're like me, I tell you, I, I hate it when things like that change. I mean, I just get used to using one computer. I'm able to get around on one computer. And then, hey, they, they want to upgrade to another, another version of Windows. Stop it. Recently, Katie and I had some upgrades done on our Dish Network. So they came in, they took, oh yeah, yeah boy, that stuff's antiquated. How long you had that? Well, a long time. <laughs> we got all this new equipment and all this stuff. And I'm telling you what, we nearly, we nearly throw the remote through the, through the window now because we, we can't even turn the TV on hardly. <laughs> and then when it comes on, it comes on some stupid thing. And then we're flipping around. Well, I don't know. Well, here, you do it. I don't know. The coolest thing about it, the coolest thing about it is I can push this little button and say, San Francisco Giants baseball. (laughs) It's right there. I like it. I know how to do that. But the rest, I don't know. Listen, we're paying a lot of money for something that can do a lot of things that we're not doing. That's what I know. It's mind-boggling, I'm telling you. Preacher, when are you going to get to the text right now? Paul comes into the city of Ephesus. This is the second time now that he's, that he's been there. He had been there for just a short time prior to this. And here he is again. He's in the city of Ephesus. And when he gets there, he encounters this, this group of men. The Bible calls them disciples. And he begins to quiz them about some things. And the first question that he asked them was, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And their response was, we haven't even heard about that. And so he begins to elaborate on this and, and a number of other things that we read about a moment ago. And so here we have this group of 12 men, again the Bible calls them disciples, who along with their families were quite possibly the nucleus that God used to build the church in Ephesus. We aren't given a lot of details concerning all of that, but here's what I want you to see tonight. We'll get into the message now. Paul cared about these men and their spiritual understanding, and he wanted to help them take the next step. So here's what we see. Paul started where they were. And so in order to find out where they were, he started asking them about the Holy Spirit and talking to them about John's baptism and and so on and so forth. And and here's what you need to understand about John's baptism. It had happened some 20 years prior to this particular time in the book of Acts chapter 19. and, And they were some... Uh, 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 20 miles or so uh, from where John had, had ministered, many miles, not 20 miles, many miles away from where John had ministered, and, and how these men got their knowledge and insight, we, we don't know of all of that. Now, let me help put that in perspective. Let's go back 20 years ago to 1998. How many of you would agree tonight that things have changed since 1998? Hairstyles have changed, at least for some people. For some of us, we've got the same cut. Short on the top, long on the sides. Hairstyles have changed. Glasses have changed. Some people need to figure that out. (laughs) Cell phones have changed. Yeah, buddy, look at them babies. I've told you this before. I remember even before 1998 when our church got a bag phone. Boom. Reach up and put that antenna on the top. And we thought we were big stuff because you weren't allowed to go on a church trip unless you had the phone. The phone. The bag phone. And sometimes you'd make a call just because it made you look important. You had the bag phone. And then you're really moving up when you, when you got these babies. I and mean, that was high-tech stuff. In 1998. Computers have changed. So if you take someone from 1998, and you just drop them right in the middle of 2018, they're gonna need some help, aren't they? They're gonna, they're gonna need a little orientation. I'll go back to the police department. You take someone who was a cop in Liberal in 1998, and you just drop him into the middle of the police department now in 2018, I'll guarantee you that he's going to see real quick some things have changed. And they're going to need some help. Getting around, navigating things. I can only imagine what would happen. Where's Brother Monty? see he in here? Ah! can only imagine if I went and knocked on Brother Monty's door tomorrow and said, here, Brother Monty, I have something for you. I handed him an iPhone 10. By the way, 1998 called and they want their flip phone back. (laughs) Brother Monty is happy with his flip phone. Don't bug him about his phone. He loves his phone. But I can imagine if I handed him a phone, said, here, Brother Monty, here's an iPhone. And he'd be looking for buttons. He couldn't even open mine because it only knows my face. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't. Give it back to me. That would be an expensive (laughs) trash bucket deposit. But you know what I'm saying tonight? In our study of Acts, We've seen how things have changed and how things are progressing as the gospel is being preached and churches are being started. And so these men's answers to Paul's question about the Holy Spirit, they were going to help him assess their knowledge of things. In particular, their knowledge of, for example, the mission of Christ. That he had given to the church back in Acts chapter 1 to evangelize the world. By asking this question, Paul would have known where they were in their understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit. In the work of things like evangelism and and in their own personal lives as believers. Now... Paul wasn't asking, I want to make this clear tonight, Paul wasn't asking these men if they had received the Holy Spirit in some weird way. And by the way, if you go back to the Gospel of John, as we've studied John, and you go back to chapters 14, 15, and 16, here's here's what Jesus taught, and we need to remember this. Here's what Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, He will testify of me. That he would not testify of himself. That he would not bring glory or, or, or attention to himself. Jesus said he will testify of me. And so here's why I say that. Anytime you hear someone or you see someone and they're giving an inordinate amount of attention to the Holy Spirit, that ought to be an immediate red flag. Well, pastor, are you scared of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. I love the Holy Spirit, and I love the work that He does in convincing sinners of their need of salvation and convicting the saved of sin and guiding believers in the truth of the Scriptures and comforting those Uh, uh, that that need comfort. No, I'm not afraid of the Holy Spirit, but here's what I am afraid of. I'm afraid of drawing too much attention to Him, which is something that He refused to do Himself. And if His focus is on Jesus, then our focus ought to be on Jesus. Now, if you study this passage of Scripture You read commentaries about it and you talk to your staff about it and you call pastors on the phone about it, as I have done over the course of the last two weeks. You're going to get a lot of opinions about Acts chapter 19 and these verses that I just read. Especially with respect to these 12 disciples, there are some who are of the opinion that they were not yet saved and. That this is the moment they got saved and followed the Lord in baptism. And, and there are others who believe that they were saved. And this is the moment in time when they got scripturally baptized. I mean, there are just a, a number of beliefs here. But here's what I have found out. And here's the conclusion that I come to. That every opinion, every belief about what happened here in Acts chapter 19. It's all based on a lot of assumptions. You have to assume a lot of things. For example, if you're going to come to the position that these men were lost and this is the moment they got saved, that's all based on assumption. You don't know that because we're not told that. If you believe they were saved and, and, but they weren't uh, scripturally baptized, so to speak, and so they got baptized in Jesus' name here in Acts chapter 19, the fact that they were saved before, it's, it's, it's assumption. So you've got to make a lot of assumptions, and so I think we need to be careful about about really getting too technical about all of this, because if if the Holy Spirit wanted us to know more, He would have put more in there. And so we need to be careful about developing a a very rock-solid doctrinal position for whatever reason on Acts chapter 19. Because again, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of assumption. But here's one thing that we do know. These men did not understand a lot about the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, I would dare say that they knew less about the Holy Spirit than Apollos knew about the Holy Spirit because Apollos didn't require baptism. He just needed further explanation of the Word of God. But these individuals did require baptism, and they required baptism in Jesus' name. And, and again, let me just throw this in there. Don't, don't think that baptizing, as we're going to do tonight, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, is heresy. We understand when they got baptized in the name of Jesus that they were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Don't get all wrapped up in that. And then notice what happened next. Verse 6. You with me tonight? And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. And they spake with tongues and prophesied. Pastor, did that really happened. Yeah, it happened. No reason to be afraid of that. Absolutely it happened. It happened on three occasions in the book of Acts. It happened in Acts chapter 1, or excuse me, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 19. Some want to use this scripture as a proof text for... Some kind of second work or second blessing of the Spirit after salvation. But listen to me tonight, here's the problem with that. First of all, to do that would be to ignore the transitional nature of the book of Acts. And I'll just go so far as to say this tonight. We need to be careful about building any solid, firm, doctrinal position on the book of Acts. Because it was so transitional... In nature. And then, secondly, to, let me say this, the experiences and events described in Acts are not necessarily normative for today. Again, it's a transitional time. There's some things happening in the book of Acts that have never happened again. And won't ever happen again because we're past that time. Second, to interpret this scripture in, in, in that manner that saying that, that, that the, the receipt of the Holy Spirit is some kind of second work of grace or some second blessing that we get after we're saved. Listen, to, to say that is to deny the explicit teaching of the New Testament epistles which declare unequivocally that every Christian receives the Spirit at the time of salvation. Paul makes that abundantly clear. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, he says, Now if any man hath not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. So according to that verse, you can't get saved and belong to Christ and then get the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't have the Holy Spirit, Paul said we're none of his. So there's not getting saved and then receiving the Spirit. It's a mistake to think that the way things happen in the book of Acts with respect to the Holy Spirit are the way they are supposed to happen today. Because as I'm about to show you, even in the examples in the book of Acts, not everything happened in the same way every time. For example, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon the Jews and they spoke in tongues, which again were known languages because some of some of the people there started asking the question how is it that these Jews are speaking our language how is it that we're able to understand them how is it that they're being Jews are able to speak the language we speak because it's a different language so it was a known tongue they understood what they were saying they were sharing the gospel In the book of Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people got saved and added to the church. But if you read Acts chapter 2, there's no mention there of water baptism. There's no mention there of laying on of hands. And the reason they spoke in tongues was to validate their message. In Acts chapter 8, the Spirit comes upon the Samaritans and That's those people who were half Jew and half Gentile. What happens there is they believed, and then they were baptized in water. Peter and John laid hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit, but there's no speaking in tongues. At least that we read of. Are you tracking with me? So in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, people speak in tongues, but there's no mention of laying on of hands, there's no mention of water baptism. Then you go to Acts chapter 8, and these people get saved, then there's water baptism, and then they lay their, uh, their hands on them, but there's no speaking in tongues. Then we move to Acts chapter 10, and you got the house of, of, of a Gentile man named Cornelius, and... You know the story there. We preached on it. Peter preached in this man's home, and people were saved, and they received the Spirit, and they spoke in tongues, and they were baptized, but there's no laying on of hands. Here's the point I'm making. You can't say, well, this is how it has to happen, because this is how it happened in the book of Acts, because in the book of Acts, it never happened the same way every time. The book of Acts is transitional. Things happen the way they happen because of particular situations, depending on who was there and what needed to happen. Say, well, Pastor, what is the, the proper order? Well, to be honest with you, the book of Acts doesn't give us a proper order. That's why we should be careful about building our doctrine solely on what we see happen in the book of Acts. Again, I'll say it because of Acts' transitional nature. Here's what we need to do, church. We need to go to the epistles where Paul and Peter would would write and explain that when a person believes, that moment they place their faith in Christ, they are indwelt immediately by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, they are sealed under the day of redemption. And then following their their salvation, they are to publicly identify, as some will tonight, they are then to publicly identify with Christ through water baptism. And then we're commanded to continually keep being filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5. Ah, ah, I, 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 I get it now, pastor. That's when we speak in tongues. No, 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 no. That's when we begin speaking to ourselves, Ephesians chapter 5, in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord, and giving thanks always unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 5, 19 and 20. Be ye filled with the Spirit, and then it says, here's the result of that. It's also at that time when, we, when, when we're living under the control of the Holy Spirit that we're learning to be submissive. Ephesians 5, 21. You you understand? Get this. The Holy Spirit helps us keep control, not lose it. As a matter of fact, Paul used the illustration in verse 18 of Ephesians 5 of someone being under the control of alcohol and how that is so different than someone being under the control of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to belabor the point tonight, but if you go to the book of of 1 Corinthians, Paul rebukes the believers there for misusing and abusing tongues and the craziness that came from it. That's pretty much all 1 Corinthians 14 is. So here's what appears to be taking place in Acts chapter 19. Paul is helping these men who are influenced by the ministry of John the Baptist understand what had taken place since that time all these years removed the church is now in place Jews and Gentiles alike are being saved and they're being baptized in in, into the church so basically there 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 was an old era that was an old era the ministry of John the Baptist was an old era and now Paul sensed that they were needing to be brought into a new era. I might put it like this. They had a flip phone. But Paul said, guys, you need to get with it. Here's an iPhone. And through their baptism by Paul in the name of Jesus, these men were caught up, if you will, in their knowledge that Jesus had come, that he had died, that he had buried, that he had risen again and that he had now ascended, and that now it was a new age. Now it's the church age. So here's the second and final thought of the message tonight. First of all, Paul started where people were. And by the way, that's what we need to do. If you've ever done any teaching or training on the job, then you know that. Somebody goes out to National Beef and and the first day, Brother Randy, am I am I right here? The first day, don't you put a blade in their hand and say, get after it. Put on first. You put equipment on, you got to learn the rules, you got to learn the regulations, you got to learn the proper way to do things. What do you do? You start where they are. Now, if somebody comes in and they've got uh, 10, 15 years um, at another uh, beef packing plant, then... You may start at a different place because they've already got knowledge of how this is supposed to be done. You start where people are. Amen. But then I want you to notice this. Paul helped them take the next step. And so that's where I want to focus our last few moments tonight in the message. And I want to ask you this. What is your next step? As a believer, as a Christian, what is your next step? For some, there's not a next step because they've not taken the first step. Preacher, what's the first step? The first step is being saved. Coming to know the Lord as your personal Savior. And when I say that, understand tonight, I'm not talking about some religious experience. I talked to a man this week. And we're talking about spiritual things, and I asked him when he was saved. He's been attending church here, and and I made the comment to him. I said, it's it's obvious you've been in church before. That's not your first church experience. I'm pretty adept at being able to spot people who've been in church before. They know how to get around, and they... They know some things, and so that's pretty easy to spot. And so I told him, I said, it's obvious to me this is not your first church experience. And he acknowledged that. He said, oh, no, not at all. I said, well, when were you saved? And he gave me some fantastic story about some spiritual experience that happened one night in his home, in his living room when he was drunk. Now, I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you whether or not that man is saved. I know this. He comes to church. And I know that he lives a relatively moral life, as far as I can tell. But listen to me tonight. That does not constitute salvation. Salvation includes the acknowledgement of sin the understanding that we've transgressed the Word of God, that God is perfect and God is holy and we're not, and that we inherited this nature, this this propensity to do wrong. We inherited that from our Father, who got it from His Father, who got it from His Father, all the way back to Adam and the book of Genesis. We're all born sinners, and we acknowledge that and we understand that and At that point, we understand that we need a Savior, that that we can't be baptized and get to heaven, we can't join a church and get to heaven, we can't come to church and get to heaven, we can't be a good person and get to heaven, that we can only get to heaven because we have a Savior, and His name is Jesus, and Jesus loved us. And he died on the cross when we rightfully should have paid for our own sin by dying ourselves and being eternally separated from God. Jesus died on the cross for us. Because he loves us. And we come to the understanding that we need him as our Savior that He is the only Savior. And there was a moment in time in our lives when we prayed and asked God to forgive us of our sins and asked Jesus to be our Savior. Listen to me tonight. If you can't articulate that time in your life, I'm not God, I'm not the Holy Spirit, I can't tell you whether you're saved or not, but I know enough about this book to know that if you're saved, you're going to be able to articulate a time when you acknowledge the things that I just shared with you. For me, that was on a Wednesday night at the old property over 216 West Wilson, upstairs in that nasty smelling room that our youth pastor used in an office. I remember that night. Brother Steve opened the word of God and he, he showed me the scriptures. I'm a sinner and you can't save yourself and Jesus died to save you and Jesus wants to save you and for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13, shall be saved. And that night I did that. And I'm not discounting any experiences that, that you may have had, but if, if they did not include a clear presentation of the gospel and a clear understanding and grasping in your heart your need of Christ, then you need to give some serious thought to where you're at spiritually. Maybe that's the step you need to take. Maybe you need to begin there and take that step of faith. Because again, you ought to to be able you ought got to be able to give a brief testimony of when that time was in your life. You say, well, Bridger, I'm not like you. I don't know the date. I don't know the month. I don't know. You don't have to know all of that. But I'm telling you, and this is the age-old illustration, but still the same. If, if you had the opportunity to meet the president, I'm not getting all political on you, it doesn't matter who it is, it would not matter who the president was. If you ever got to sit in their presence, you would never forget it. Okay, how old you got? Oh man, that was so long ago, I can't. I think it was March, I don't know, maybe Maybe it was July, I can't remember, but I'll tell you what, I remember sitting there, and I remember him walking in, and I just remember the Secret Service guys being there, and I just remember how awesome it was. I'm telling you, if you've met Jesus tonight, then you're going to know about it. Is that right, Brother Bob? I tell him the truth tonight, you're going to know about it. And you're going to be able to articulate the truth that I just shared with you. Maybe that's your step tonight. Maybe your step is baptism. Those people that are getting saved tonight have all given testimony of their salvation. And I hope that it's real. And I hope that it's legit. And so tonight, they're choosing to take the next step. Which is to publicly identify with Christ through scriptural New Testament baptism in deep water. I mean going under bubbling deep water. Not a little one of these things. That does not picture death, burial, and resurrection. Sorry, Brother Sid, I didn't mean to mess up your carpet. It's a good thing those are carpet squares. You can pick that one up and put another one down. That does not, that's not scriptural baptism because that does not depict the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ which is what baptism is. If you're tonight, you say, Preacher, I can go back to that time when I got saved. I know when that was. And listen, you need to publicly identify with Jesus Christ in baptism. That is your next step. There's not another step until you take that step. And so you need to take that step as these tonight are taking that step. Maybe you've been saved and scripturally baptized by a a church of like faith in order to this one, but, but it wasn't this one, and so maybe your next step tonight is church membership. I certainly believe you ought to pray about that, and I think you ought to seek the Lord's will about that, because we don't want anyone here that God doesn't want here, and you don't want to be here unless God wants you here. But honestly, that shouldn't take months. It shouldn't take that long. If you've been attending here, the Lord's blessing you here. You're growing here. Then why not just join here? And then occasionally we'll have someone whose name used to be on the church roll, and I don't know how many we had. Like I don't know, over a thousand, maybe fifteen hundred names at one time on the church roll, and and. Uh, so you get ready to send out a letter, and you've got all of these names on there. Some of these people had died. Some of these people had moved. They were not even liberal anymore. Some of these people had not been coming to church, hadn't been church in years. And, and so we just went through, and I remember going through that whole process. We read off a list of names. Brother Bill, you and Diane probably remember this. We read off a list of names. We gave people an opportunity to say, hey, I would really like to keep their name on there. But through that process, there were some names that were removed from the church role of Fellowship Baptist Church. They weren't disciplined out of the church. They weren't kicked out of the church or anything like that. We just took their name off the roll for non-attendance primarily. And maybe that's where you're at tonight. And you just need to come and say, Preacher, I want to reinstate my membership. Maybe that's your next step, to reinstate your membership in Fellowship Baptist Church. And then maybe for some of you here tonight, your next step is just to go all in. I mean, I mean all in, all the way over your head in to the life of Fellowship Baptist Church. To the point that the church no longer revolves around your life, but now your life revolves around the church. I'm talking all in. For some, that may mean your next step is participating in a Sunday morning fellowship Bible class at 945. Some of you aren't involved in that. You need to get involved in that. You set in a class. That's the one for you, then then keep going. If that's not the one for you, then go to another one. See if that's the one for you. But 945, some of you need to start showing up. That's your next step. Get involved in a Fellowship Bible class. For some, maybe it's a ministry of some kind. Bridger, I've really been thinking about singing in the choir. Then come on. I don't know. We probably had five or six altos this morning. How many? Three or four four altos. I don't know if you saw that. We were laughing about that. I stand there and say, ah, who needs altos anyway? (laughs) We do. Normally we have quite a few, but they were gone today. And maybe the choir is 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 your next step. Maybe that's your ministry, maybe being a greeter. And listen, that's not just uh, something we created to give something uh, people something to do. That's a real ministry. Because you think about back to the first time you stepped into fellowship Baptist Church. You roll in the parking lot, you see all those cars, your heart starts beating It's like, whoa, what am I doing here? Am I doing the right thing? And then you start walking to the door, and you're starting to get, I don't know about this. And then you get there, and there's this smiling face, and they say, hey, we're glad you're here today. (sighs) Kind of eases the stress a little bit. Amen? That's the ministry of a greeter. It's not like they stand there and pat you down and check what Bible you have and make sure you got money in your pocket so you can give any offering. Come on. It's a greeting ministry. It's a ministry for smiling people who are people, people. And some of you say, Well, I'm not a people, people. My wife drug me into it. Well, bless God. I'm glad you're involved. Thank you for being obedient to your wife. That's good. Maybe for some of you, the next step is Sunday school teacher. Children's church worker. Or, listen to me now, if you really, I mean, really want to go all in. Say, preacher, I want to work in a nursery. (laughs) Hallelujah! We'd almost pay you to do that. Now, I will let Jesus pay you to do that. But I'm serious. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the women who give an hour of their week or so to work in a nursery. That's huge. That is humongous. So much so, we have got to remodel and create a third nursery. Praise the Lord for that. But a third nursery, more nursery space, means more nursery workers. And we need help. We need help with that. Maybe your next step to being all in is becoming more faithful and consistent in your giving to the Lord. Tithing and giving to missions and giving to the building fund. Last Sunday night, I challenged you in the area of hospitality. Maybe that's your next step. Some of you are just naturally given to that. It's who you are. It's who God made you. I'm talking about ministering to people in your home. And let me say this. Your next step may help someone take their next step. Amen. They see you take that next step, if they can do it, I can do it. As we prepare for the invitation tonight, what is your next step? And we've had a little fun tonight, but in all seriousness, what is your next step? Because we all have one. We've not all arrived. Well, preacher, I'm comfortable where I am. Yeah, but is that where Jesus wants you to be? And taking that next step may be a bit uncomfortable for some. I get that but it's still something you need to do because we ought to always be moving forward and always taking steps in our spiritual growth and in our faith. And so I would encourage you tonight to come and kneel before the Lord and say, Lord, this is my next step. I know what it is. Would you help me to take it? Whatever it is, maybe you're here tonight. And you've professed salvation, but the Holy Spirit has convicted your heart tonight because what you're calling salvation really had nothing to do with the acknowledgement of sin and your need of a Savior and your receipt of Jesus Christ. And maybe tonight that needs to be your your step. Baptism, say, preacher, I'm not prepared to be baptized tonight, but if that's my next step, then I want to take it, and I want you to know that's the step I want to take. I'll meet you right down here in the front. We'll pray together. Whatever the need is tonight, you take it. Let's stand. I'll pray. Father, thank you tonight.